You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. Six months ago, I I got a dog. Um, and he's a he's kind of a strange-looking dog because he's a cross between a pit bull and a basset hound. So he's got he's this pit bull with his tiny little legs, and it's kind of funny. But I take him for a walk, and God has shown me a lot of things. And so I was going to come today, and I was going to tell you all the things that my dog has shown me about God. Um, but then God had a different idea. For the last two weeks, he's been talking to me about just one thing over and over and over again, different facets of it. And so I'm going to bring, bring it to you. I want to, I want to talk today about, about shame, about shame. And I'm going to start this morning where Pastor Megan left off last Sunday. Joshua 23, verses 12 and 13. But if you turn away from him and cling to the customs of the survivors of these nations remaining among you, if you intermarry with them, then know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive them out of your land. Instead, they will be a snare and a trap to you, a whip for your backs, thorny brambles in your eyes, and you will vanish from this good land the Lord God has given you. But if you turn away from him, which is Jesus, and you cling to the customs of the survivors of these nations remaining among you, and we would call that the world, the nations that live among us, would be the world. And if you intermarry with them, if you become intimate with the things of the world, then know for certain the Lord your God will no longer drive them out. Not that he doesn't want to, but that he won't be able to. Um, So if you turn away from Jesus and you cling to the world, and you become intimate with the world, then you can be sure that that will be a snare and a trap to you. It will be a whip for your backs and a thorny brambles in your eyes, and you will vanish from this good land the Lord has given you. In this instance, the good land is your mind, your heart, is you. Shame, it's a very painful emotion. Um, shame is caused by guilt or failure or an impropriety, something that you've done wrong, and it results in the belief that you are worthless and no value to anybody, especially God. Shame can be what you've done to somebody else. Shame can be what someone else has done to you. It can come from either way. It's a humiliation that you feel because of something that was done. And it stays with you all the time. Every time it comes to mind, you get this, this knot in your stomach. Um, I, I know about shame. I was very intimate with shame for many, many years. <laughs> A lot of years. Guilt is realizing that we've made a mistake and we're probably going to have to pay a consequence for that mistake. That's different. Shame says you made a mistake because you are a mistake. Shame will get itself down into your identity and it will become who you are. It will become who you are. And it's really, really sneaky because you have no idea that it's weaseling its way into your life and into your mind and into your identity until God shows it to you. 
I lived in shame for 50 years. Never knew it until God showed me. Until God showed me. And shame can lead to a variety of different emotions. It leads to feelings about being not just unqualified, but disqualified from anything meaningful or any, any significant role in the body of Christ. Megan last week ended with a word from God saying that you have not been disqualified. But so many of you think you have been because you're thinking, how could I ever be used by God when I did that? How could God ever use somebody like me? That is shame. That's shame talking. That's not you. That's not your mind. Well, it is your mind. But it's not God. God doesn't deal in shame. Ever. Ever. Um, I remember lots of times when I was a child, parents would try and shame their children into doing something right. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. It just makes them feel useless. And shame has convinced many of you. I've, I've said that. It's, it's convinced many of you, and I know this because God brought this to me so strong over the last couple of weeks. People enslaved by shame are constantly apologizing to other people for who they are. They feel small, they feel, flaw, they feel flawed, never good enough. They live under the crippling fear of never measuring up, never pleasing those who love and re they re that they love, those they respect, those that they, they desire, that often results in efforts to work harder to compensate for feeling less than everybody else. I was walking, I was going for a walk about a week ago, and God said to me, and I said, <laughs> I'm walking, and I said, God, I just want to hear you talk to me. I want to hear you say something, anything. I want to hear you say something. And he said to me, he said, shame will set an impossible standard for you to meet. Because if you work harder, then you'll be accepted by God and you'll be accepted by everybody else. But it will set that impossible standard and then you will not meet it. And then shame will come along and say, see, you're just not good enough. You can never do this. You can't live a Christian life because you keep messing up. But maybe, just maybe, if you work a little harder, and you pray a little longer, and you worship a little louder, then maybe you'll be accepted by everybody. And then maybe you can make it. And then shame has talked you into trying to work your way into heaven. And then shame has talked you into trying to work your way closer to God. That'll never work. You can't work yourself closer to God. Ever. Because God is as close to you as he's going to get. The problem is shame puts us in a spot where we don't believe it. If you have ever said, I can never forgive myself for that, well, then you have shame. That's shame saying that. That's shame convincing you of that. I suspect that we don't have a lot of thoughts that are our own. I don't think we have a lot of our thoughts that are original. I think we have got thoughts from God and we have thoughts from an, the enemy and we just get to choose which ones we contemplate, which ones we think about, which ones we dwell on. Shame becomes who you are. 
It's not just an emotion you feel. It gets to the part and it becomes who you are. And like I just said, if you have ever said, I'll never forgive myself for that, then you have shame. Because if God has forgiven you, you really don't have any right to not forgive yourself. But when you don't, it's shame not allowing you to. It's because shame will not allow you to feel the love of God because shame will tell you that you don't, not, you're not worth. You're not worth it. I know. They didn't do that. And it becomes who you are. And then when it becomes who you are, everything that is said to you is filtered through that shame filter. So God will say, I love you. Pastor will come and say, I appreciate you so much. I love what you do. And shame will say, they wouldn't say that if they knew what I did three weeks ago. They wouldn't say that at all. The only reason they say that is because they don't know. And if they knew, they wouldn't like me at all. So the love that God tries to get to you when shame is your identity is filtered through shame and it doesn't ever reach you. It doesn't ever reach your mind or your heart because the shame won't allow it to. Shame won't allow it to. Shame starts with a half-truth. Like all lies have some truth in it. It starts by saying, you are a worthless sinner. Well, half of that is true. We are sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but we are by no means worthless. And I'm going to try to show you that today. Matthew 13, 44, 46. This is in the voice. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. A crafty man found the treasure, buried it there, and he buried it again so nobody would know where it was. Thrilled, he went off, sold everything he had. He came back and bought the field with the hidden treasure part of the bargain. Or, the kingdom of heaven is like a jeweler on the lookout for finest pearls. And when he found the pearl more beautiful and valuable than any jewel he'd ever seen, the jeweler sold all he had and bought that pearl, his pearl of great price. Shame will read this and shame will say, you need to sell everything you have because God is the pearl of great price. And you need to absolutely get rid of everything to try so that you can center your focus on God. Except there's no way you can buy yourself to God. It's not what God means when he says this, but that's what shame will tell you. I know. You are the pearl of great price, not God. You are the treasure that was buried. It was Jesus that gave up everything so he could come and get you. You are the pearl of great price, not God. When I first saw that, I was amazed because, oh, I bet you for 30 years, I thought that God was the pearl of great price. He's not, you are. You are worth everything to God, everything. The first time we see shame mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Genesis 2.25, it says, in those days, the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. There wasn't any shame there. When God made Adam and when God made Eve and God put them in the garden, there wasn't any shame until the next chapter. Genesis 3, 6 to 8. The woman approached the tree, eyed its fruit, coveted its mouth-watering, wisdom-granting beauty. She plucked a fruit from the tree and ate it. And then she offered the fruit to her husband, who was close by, and he ate it as well. 
Suddenly their eyes were opened to a reality previously unknown. For the first time, they sensed their vulnerability and they rushed to hide their naked bodies, stitching fig leaves into crude loincloths. They heard the sound of the eternal God walking in the cool, misting shadows in the garden, and the man and his wife took cover in the trees and they hid from God. Shame will drive you away from God because, like I said, shame will say that you're not good enough for God. Shame and rejection go hand in hand and their sole purpose is to keep you from the love of God. Because if it can keep you from the love of God, then it hurts God. And the only way they can hurt God is if they hurt his kids. And so Adam and Eve hid because suddenly they were ashamed and it drove them away from God. They ran from God. Instead of running to God, they ran from him. Just as a side note, um, we all know that um, Adam and Eve got banished from the garden for eating. Well, no, nah, they didn't. They got banished from the garden, but not for eating of the tree. They got banished from the garden because if they ate of the tree of life, after they had sinned, they would live forever in the sin. And Jesus wouldn't be able to redeem them later. God banished them from the garden because he loved them too much to let them live forever like that. Everything God does is because he loves us. Everything. You read through the whole Bible and everything that God does is because he has a plan for mankind and he has a plan for people. And if it doesn't look that way, we're not understanding it right. Because the love of God is so huge and powerful and it just covers everything. And so what do we do about shame? What can we do about it? Well, God being God, he has a way, he has a plan. When Jesus died, Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to feel shame. He died so you wouldn't have to feel rejection. He died so that you wouldn't have to be sick. He died so that you wouldn't have to live in sin. He died so he could have a relationship with you. Jesus fought self-pity in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and he beat self-pity. He fought rejection when all of the Jewish leaders turned their backs on him and said, give us Barabbas and kill Jesus. The Jewish leaders, the religious leaders who were, should have known who Jesus was, all of them, and they got the whole country, his whole country turned his back on him and killed him because Jesus fought rejection for us in that moment. Hebrews 10, 14, it says, with one perfect offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being made holy. With one perfect offering, Jesus perfected those being made holy. That's me, that's you. Jesus perfected you with one offering. It was not pretty and it was not a good time for Jesus. But everything that we have, in Ephesians, it says we have, God's given us everything we need. Everything we need was given to us by the cross. In Isaiah 53, 6, 
Like wayward sheep, we've all wandered astray. Each has turned from God's path, chosen our own way. Even so, Yahweh laid the guilt of every sin on him. Every sin that everybody has committed from when Eve ate the fruit until 30 seconds ago, Jesus died for it. The whole thing. Isaiah 61.10, I will sing and greatly rejoice in Yahweh. My whole being vibrates from the shouts of joy in my God. For he has dressed me with salvation. He has wrapped me in the robe of his righteousness. I appear like a bridegroom on wedding day, decked out with a beautiful sash, a radiant bride adorned with sparkling jewels. Jesus died and we have his righteousness. It doesn't matter what shame says. It doesn't matter what we did. God has a plan. God knew you were going to sin. He wasn't surprised by it. Shame wants you to think he was. Shame wants you to think that you took everybody surprised and did the worst thing in the world. Um, Jesus knew it was going to happen and he made a way. He planned for it. He planned for you not to have shame. In Isaiah 50 verse 6 it says, But it has been hard. I offered my back to those who whipped me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not turn away from humiliation and spitting. It wasn't easy for Jesus to do what he did. It wasn't like he came down as God and within the power of God, he just walked through and do, 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 do. you know, like a video game where you just hit the button and it's gone. It wasn't like that. Jesus spent nights awake fighting for us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he spent all night praying. And that's where he fought self-pity. And, and I want to say, when I talk about shame, it's more than an attitude. When it gets into your identity, it becomes a thought process, it becomes an attitude. There is also a spirit of shame, and we have to remember that the enemy will use what it can to get to you. We have to remember, and we have to make sure we don't forget, that there is a spiritual aspect to the deliverance of shame. He offered his back to those who whipped him. The, the, cheek, he, the cheeks he offered them to those who pulled out his beard. Didn't turn away from him humiliation and spitting. Jesus endured shame and humiliation so we wouldn't have to. It's part of the salvation package. In Matthew chapter 27, it's ten, there's 10 verses here, and, uh, so 27 to 37. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into a great hall, gathered a great cart, crowd, and stripped him of his clothes. So, the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the hall, filled the hall with people, and tore the clothes off of Jesus, and made him stand naked completely in front of these people. You know, we see pictures of Jesus on the cross with a loincloth, but he didn't have a loincloth. He was completely naked in front of these people. So they draped him in a bold scarlet cloak, the kind that soldiers sometimes wore. So Jesus is standing there completely naked and they put a cloak around his shoulders. They gathered some thorny vines, wove them into a crown, and perched that crown upon his head. You know, the crown on your head, have you ever thought that it may signify a mental illness, that Jesus died for that. Or maybe migraines. 
I know if you've had a migraine, sometimes it feels like a hose clamp on your head, just tightening. They put that crown on his head, it went around his head. They stuck a reed in his right hand and mocked him. And then they knelt before him, inside out, upside down king, and they mocked him with cattails. The soldiers said, Hail, king of the Jews. They spat on him. They whipped him on the head with his scepter of reeds. And when they had their fill, they pulled off the bold scarlet cloak and put his clothes back on him, dressed him in his own simple clothes and led him off to be crucified. As they were walking, they found a man called Simon of Cyrene and forced him to carry the cross. Eventually, they came to a place called Golgotha, that means the place of the skull. There they gave him a drink mixed with bitter herbs. He tasted it and refused to drink it. Jesus would not refuse anything that would medicate the pain. He was doing the whole thing because it was for us. And they had him crucified. And then the soldiers, they divided the clothes off his back by drawing lots. So they put him on the cross and they tore his clothes off him again for the second time. He was completely naked in front of everybody. It was shame. And he did it for us so that we don't have to have shame. Hebrews 12:2. it says, Now stay focused on Jesus who designed and perfected our faith. He endured the cross and ignored the shame that death the shame of that death because he focused on the joy that was set before him. The shame of that death, a crucifixion, was reserved for the worst of the worst of the worst. It was, it was super shameful to be crucified, but then to be crucified naked was even worse. It was even worse. And he took that shame so that you don't have to so that you don't have to live with it. When you think of that, what you did, and you get that gut in your stomach, it doesn't have to be that way. God can take that away. If you let him, he will do it. Hebrews 12, 10, well, Hebrews 12, 12, 2, he focused on the joy that was set before him. And I've, I've mentioned this before. Through the whole crucifixion thing, and it's a terrible and full of humiliation and, and spitting and yanking on his beard. And he did it because of the joy that he looked beyond the cross and he had so much joy. And the only thing God got through the cross was you. He gave up everything. He had it all before he came down here. So that wasn't the reason he died. He didn't die so that he could be exalted above man and sit at the right hand of the Father. He was already there when he came. He didn't need to. He gave that up. And he went through all of this just because of you. Because he looked at you and he felt the joy that he could have having a relationship with you. Hebrews 12:10. Our parents corrected us for a time as seemed good to them. But God only corrects us to our good so that we may share in his holiness. What's the opposite of shame? The opposite of shame would be respect. Probably, that's probably the closest one we could come. And what God would respect the most, His holiness. Jesus took the shame so you could be holy. And the shame is the opposite of holiness. 
Ephesians 1, 3, and 6, every spiritual blessing in heavenly realm has been lavished upon us as a love gift from the wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he wrapped, he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with our hearts. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. He looked into 2020 and he saw you before he created the earth, before he created the universe. And he said to himself, he's worth it. She's worth it. Let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. I know it's going to hurt. And I know some people won't accept it. But those that will, it's going to be, it's going to be so awesome to have them. Let's, let's, let's do this. And they did it. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. That was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, they looked down and they saw us in shame. They banished Adam and Eve from the garden so that, that, so that he could redeem us not to punish them, but to redeem us from the shame. The first thing that jumped on them after they had eaten and they saw that they had sinned, the first thing that jumped on them was shame that they had done that. Shame, suddenly they were naked and they needed to clothe themselves. And if you read the story, you'll find that they sewed leaves together to cover themselves. And Jesus saw that and went, Jesus, that's not, he said, that just this isn't good enough. And God killed some animals and made clothes for them to cover their shame. They didn't make their clothes, God did. Because he loved them. I woke up this morning, <laughs> it was about, I don't know, 4.30 or 5 o'clock because God woke me up this morning. I opened my eyes, and actually I heard this before I opened my eyes. God said to me, he said, come here, come here, come here. I gotta show you this, I gotta show you this. I gotta, I gotta show you, come here, come here, come here. That's exactly the way he said it. And I didn't lay there and think, huh, is this God? Is this me? Do I get up? I didn't even think about it, I just jumped out of bed. And I went down the hallway to the living room because Jesus, God is so excited this morning. He's so excited about this. And he took me to Hosea 1.7, which says, I will have mercy on the people of Judah, even though they could never win in battle with their own weapons, with their bows and their swords and their horses and their cavalry. I'm going to save them personally. That's what God said to me this morning. He's going to personally deliver you from shame. I'm going to pray for you in just a little bit. Maybe God will do a miracle and you'll be instantly delivered from shame. Um, maybe God will open your eyes and you're going to have to walk out of it. For me, I had to walk out of it. Uh, this week was two years since God showed me um, about the shame and well, myriads of other stuff. It was the first week in November two years ago that I started walking, walking out of this. And maybe, maybe you'll have to walk out of it. Maybe God will just deliver you. He does both. If you, if, if, uh, 
God gave me a word. And I sat down with the computer and I typed it out word for word as he gave it to me this morning. And this is what it is. My plan for you is freedom. This is not me. This is, I'm sure this is God speaking to, through me. My plan for you is freedom. You're sitting and watching this thinking that this is not for me. He doesn't know what I've done. You're wishing that this could be true for you, but you are certain that it isn't. Shame has convinced you that you are worthless to my kingdom. And I certainly know what you've done. But do you know what I've done? Would I have allowed crucifixion for a worthless person? Would I have endured a beating that took the, my back off of my body for a worthless person? Would I have willingly walked into a battle with shame, rejection, self-pity, and fear for someone who was worthless? I could have snapped my fingers and 10,000 angels would have been there. One of them, which would have decimated the whole Roman army in Jerusalem that day. But I did not because I, because I wanted to set you free. So you need to ignore the shame and put your attention on me and allow me to set you free. I'm, I'm very emotional as you can tell because I, I was shamed for so, so, so many years. And then God stepped in and said, enough is enough. And he delivered me and he started walking me out of it. So I'm just going to pray before we end the service for everybody that's listening right now, for everybody that's listening in the future, for everybody that's at home, that's in their car, that's wherever you are watching this. I'm going to pray for you. And then we would really, really like to know what God does for you. Send us a text, send us an email. You can go to the website and send it to us. Um, if you need to walk out of it, we're here. If God has delivered you, we'd love to know because we would love to tell everybody what God is doing. Father, thank you. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for moving on our behalf. Thank you for loving us so much. Lord, that you made a way for us to have a relationship with you that didn't depend on anything we did other than just accept it. And so, Father, I speak to the shame that is in so many people right now. And shame, I speak to you and I say, you are not welcome. You don't belong there. Jesus fought you. Jesus defeated you. You have absolutely no right to torment the people. No right whatsoever. So in the name of Jesus and with the authority that the blood of Jesus gives me, I just tell you to be quiet, to leave. Leave their minds, leave their hearts, walk away, just leave. Father, just cover everybody with your love. Fill them with your peace. Show them how much you love them. Lord, your love is just so incredibly amazing. Father, just walk into those rooms, into those cars, um, wherever, and set people free. That's what you came to do. And so, Father, thank you so much for allowing me to speak about shame, for allowing me to come and talk about it. I appreciate it so much. In Jesus' name, amen.
For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.